Welcome to the Essay for FA's Retirement Advisor Podcast, a series that addresses issues of importance to financial advisors when dealing with the preeminent issue on their clients' minds, namely their desire for financial independence. I'm your host, Gil Weinrich, and today we will discuss perhaps the most fraught topic in retirement income today, to wit, where to get it. Retirees' quest for yield was a big theme of the financial crisis of 2008 and 2009 when the Federal Reserve cut interest rates to near-zero levels in order to stimulate risk-taking among investors. More than a decade later, the problem is even more acute. A decade ago, retirees complained that the yield on 10-year Treasury bonds had fallen to 3.22%. It had averaged 4.45% in the 2000s, 6.67% in the 1990s, and 10.6% in the 1980s, according to Dow Jones market data. In the economic crisis of a decade ago, 3.2% for a 10-year treasury seemed too low for those seeking the security and stability of government bonds for periodic income and for cushion against market downturns. Today, the 10-year pays 0.65%, and even a 30-year Treasury bond yields less than half the payout of the 10-year Treasury 10 years ago, at just 1.33%. What this does is drive people further out on the risk spectrum, via corporate and high-yield bonds. But these credit alternatives are risky, and likely far riskier than most people assume. U.S. corporations are highly leveraged today. If the economy is as weak as the Fed apparently thinks it is, high-yield bonds will come down hard if the economy wobbles. Some analysts, like Mark Gerstein, believe junk bond data is junkier than the bonds they describe and understate default rates, since many restructurings occur prior to technical defaults. The bonds still blow up because of a missed payment or the like, but the statistics end up looking prettier for the asset class than warranted. As for standard boring corporate bonds, they're approximately what junk bonds used to look like. BBB-rated bonds, just one level above junk, now make up over 50% of the bond market, up from just 17% in the early 2000s. That means retirees and others are taking on a high level of credit quality risk by owning such assets. I would opine that the reason we've not seen more blowups in these bonds is that no less than the Federal Reserve is propping them up. The Fed is now the number three owner of the largest corporate bond ETF, having purchased over 13 million shares of LQD. For believers in the don't-fight-the-Fed philosophy, this is great news. For skeptics of Mandarin manipulation like me, this is as comforting as seeing a patient on life support. Remove the ventilator, and the patient cannot breathe on his own. It may be that without the Fed's generous support, For over a decade now, the U.S. economy would lack the oxygen needed to sustain a continually rising market. So short of buying no-yield government bonds or high-risk corporate or junk bonds, are there any reasonable options? In my opinion, not really. But here are some thoughts. Mark Gerstein, a Seeking Alpha contributor, argues that senior secured loans are a safer bet than junk bonds. You can obtain yields of around 4.5% through these bank loan ETFs. Gerstein explains convincingly why their low durations and average maturities make them better bets than junk bonds, though even he dubs them sensibly aggressive, and overall I'm not convinced they're worth the risk. 
Another common approach, possibly the one the Fed has been trying to achieve through its low rates policy, is for people to invest more in the economy through stocks. I haven't done the math, but I'd think that a retiree might need to replace their 60-40 stock bond portfolios in favor of a 90-10 ratio to get expected returns sufficient to replace the bond yields of yore. That, I think, would be a terrible idea. Some people might see annuities as a portfolio salve here, but note that annuity purchasers are locking in long-term contracts at today's exceptionally low rates. On the plus side, annuities offer higher rates than other products of similar duration because of mortality credits, that is, the extra asset pool that comes from purchasers who have died before you. For advisors taking this route, I'd caution that there can be no skimping on the safety rating of the contract issuer. My fear is that insurance companies, paragons of caution that they were, may finally be throwing in the towel on risk. I can't be sure of this. Major insurance companies have generally managed their assets extremely prudently as long as I've been following this topic. So I was alarmed to see a new State Street survey of insurance companies out this week showing 33% plan to increase allocations to private credit and 28% to private equity. My alarm may be misplaced. It may be that they intend to change their allocations from 0.5% to 1%, that is from one insignificant level to another insignificant level. The report I saw this week from Private Equity Wire did not specify the allocations, but I do worry that people and institutions are influenced by their environment. When the Federal Reserve and federal government and state and local governments in general are taking on greater risks, sooner or later, so does everyone. So what would I recommend? If I were at the stage where I needed more retirement income, here's what I'd at least be thinking about. As long-term listeners know, I like the idea of supplementing stock ownership with real estate and cash. I advocate this as a diversification measure, but I think it could also help us with the income issue because these two non-stock asset classes cannot set each other. The income on a solid rental property can be relatively high, but bears the problem of being an illiquid asset. You can't always unload your property quickly, but a high cash allocation can offset real estate illiquidity. The idea would be to find a property with decent yield characteristics in a jurisdiction that is fiscally well-managed to avoid the risk that a heavily indebted government will use property owners as piggy banks for their unkept pension promises. The responsibilities of being a landlord may be more than what some retirees want. That's a personal decision but I think accepting the low level of yield available for the amount of risk you can afford to take is a better choice than accepting a level of risk that can ruin your retirement. Thanks for listening. If you found this podcast of value, I would be much obliged if you would pass it on to other advisors. This is Gil Weinrich for Seeking Alpha.